0: On this episode of the Big Blue Huddle, I'll be interviewing Patricia Trainer, one of the premier sports writers covering the New York Football Giants. Pat writes for Inside Football, and you can find her at Football Mavens, and her podcasts are available at lockdongiants.com. I'm your host, Ed Buetti, and this is the Big Blue Huddle Podcast. Hi, Pat.
1: Hey, how are you?
0: I'm good. I'm well, thank you. Thank you for being on the show. I'd much appreciate it. I know I how busy that. you are right now.
1: Oh, well, not a problem. Always happy to get on with you guys.
0: Thank you. So you're very excited about um, the, the first game tomorrow against the Jets?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's been a while since we've had any semblance of uh, real football, especially for for, for the Giants, so... I'm very um, interested to see how all these practices that they have put into place, all these these new um, plays and wrinkles and stuff, how they all kind of, you know, shape up and, and how they look.
0: You know, I've been attending most training camps such as now for a really long time and although there's a lot to take away when you know when you go to these things, I found that some of those takeaways, and I include the preseason games too, don't necessarily translate into the reality of the regular season. How do you separate the practice portion and the repetition to form a reasonable expectation of what this team can be and what they will become?
1: Well, I think you've got to remember that, you know, what what you see in the open practices, I mean, you know, I, I don't think the Giants are going to show you everything because remember they also do a, a closed walk through, so you're not going to see everything. But what what they're looking for is they're looking to evaluate guys who you know who can execute basic concepts of what they ultimately want to do. So for example, let's say um, uh, let, let's say on defense they want somebody to do you know they, they're rolling out a. a uh, a three safety package, the big nickel. they might do something similar to that to kind of simulate what that big nickel is going to look like ultimately without so much giving it away and, and, act, and what they're doing is just kind of you know um, evaluating the players whether or not they can play at the speed they need them to whether or not their assignments sound and uh, you know how they respond to adversity that comes up when you're out there on the field.
0: How do you evaluate them when you're on the sidelines there? And, you know, sometimes you have a good view and sometimes you don't. But what do you look for? Um, are, are you looking at scheme? Are you looking? I guess you're looking at a lot of different things. Tell me what you look for. Uh,
1: what I've been trying to do is I've been trying each practice to, to hone in on a specific unit or a specific, you know, segment of practice. So, for example, if they run the blitz package. I might hone in on, OK, how's Daniel Jones responding to the blitz how's kyle loletta responding to the blitz so i instead of trying to take it all in because you're right you can't possibly see everything and I, i just kind of zeroed in on certain things that i want to see things that i think were a problem for this team last year and i've gone you know and and based my inside football report around those things rather than, you know, report on every single player. We're going to do that, you know, obviously when the games start, but you know, just for our training camp report, what we, what we did was, you know, what I just described to you, where I honed in on where there were problems last year and how has that improved?
0: Well, that's really a good way of going about it. Um, So my question off of that would be if you're evaluating a Daniel Jones and he's with the second string offensive line and they, don't seem to be as competent as the first string. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It might be a good thing, right?
1: Um, it could be both, to be honest with you. I mean, look, the, the quarterback isn't going to always have a clean pocket. So what I want to see is, okay, is he making fast decisions? Is he making the right decisions? You know, what do what his reads look like? Um, so, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's a good thing. And also, you know, maybe you see an element of the, of the offense, you know, maybe, maybe they throw in a a design scramble or something to take advantage of his mobility that they might not have with Eli Manning in there.
0: Okay. That's one of the questions that, that one of our members was going to ask you. So I'm going to say that, um, I want to ask you about what do you think about this team this year, as far as, um, the chemistry and attitude. I mean, every year the team is a new team. This is the second year under Shermer and Gettleman. Um As someone who gets into mingle and chat with the players and the coaches and you're kind of a fly on the wall sometimes, how do you gauge your barometer on this team compared to maybe the year prior or the year prior to that? Um, does it start from the GM down this time? Does gentleman have that much influence or is it the head coach? And What are you seeing?
1: Just overall, I think it's a more professional team. It's probably one of the most professional teams um, I've seen in, in a number of years, and by that I mean there's a, there's a certain balance between going about the job seriously but still having fun with it. Whereas maybe in the past you had guys who who you know I don't want to say weren't serious about the job, but maybe they were a little too loose. And, you know, to, from the outside looking in, that could that could be misconstrued as, you know, not caring as much. But this has been a very, um, very mature locker room. It's been, uh, you know, the players have been absolutely professional. Uh, you know, the coaching staff, they, they've been focused. Everybody's been dialed in. And you just get the sense that, you know, they, they understand that the last couple of years – were not acceptable. Even though some of them weren't here those years, they, they know that, you know, look, they're, they're part of the Giants, and, and the records the last few years have not been acceptable, and they, they have pride in what they're doing, and they, they want to make it better.
0: That's a great answer. I'm glad to hear that, actually. It's, it's very encouraging. How would you compare that to the Coughlin era?
1: Well, I mean,
0: it's, it's Coughlin, a long. It sounds like a long time ago. It seems like, right?
1: No, but, it's 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 not. But the Coughlin era, I think you can divide into to, you know, you can kind of divide that in halves almost. You know, in the beginning part of the Coughlin years, that's what this locker room kind of reminds me of. But towards the end, there when things started going downhill, I think Coughlin, I don't want to say gave up on his principles because you know that that would be shortchanging the man, but. There were certain things that I don't think the Coughlin that Coughlin would have done, say, in 2005, 2006, that he did, you know, later on in his Giants tenure. And the, the most obvious, you know, example of that is putting up with Odell Beckham Jr.'s, you know, antics. I think, you know, if those antics had taken place earlier in Coughlin's Giants tenure, uh, he would not have, you know, allowed to, to, to escalate the way it did.
0: Now, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but do you think at the end Coach Coughlin was maybe a little bit afraid of his job or was based on how he was approaching some of those issues like Odell Beckham? Because actually he broke Odell into the league, and this whole thing started with him. So that, that pattern of how he's behaved really did start with Coach Coughlin.
1: Yeah, um you know, if you think back to that to that whole, you know, ugly incident, at the time the Giants had a bad record and, and you know, Coughlin was on the hot seat and, and I will maintain that he was trying to save his job. You know, he was trying to win and I and I still say that, you know, the Coughlin of two thousand four maybe through two thousand ten probably would have reacted differently than what he did you know and, and you know when you you know I, I don't want to sound like I'm criticizing Coughlin because I, I do have a lot of respect for him but when you let a player escalate his behavior escalate the way that the Giants let Odell Beckham Jr.'s behavior escalate that's generally going to lead to a problem down the line and, and unfortunately it did and he's no longer here and you know, I'm sure everybody wishes him well in Cleveland, uh, but, you know, they, they, they had a divorce between Odell and, and the Giants was just inevitable.
0: Well, I'd love to have a cup of coffee with Coughlin and kind of ask him that question if he, in retrospect, if he would have handled it differently. But that's a great answer. Um I got a question about the job itself as, as being a beat writer for the Giants and, and a journalist. Do you rely on a few few close associates of other publications or any other media to share information with each other or to bounce observations off each other? Or is this strictly a close to the vest type of a profession?
1: Um, in terms of, you know, like when we're out of practice, sometimes, you know, a group of us will cluster together and we'll compare notes But as far as, you know, getting information from sources about things like contracts and injuries and stuff like that, I think everybody kind of, you know, has their own sources and their own way of getting that information. Mm So, you know, it, it, Mm -hmm. it depends on what it is, I guess, your assignment is. Even though we're all there to write about the Giants, there are some of us who are assigned to write every little piece of news that happens, you know, including who's going to the bathroom at what time. And then there are those of us who, you know, are there to take, soak it all in and then formulate, you know, analysis and opinions based on what we see. So there's different um, there's different types, uh, different ways to approach the job. And, and, again, it depends on what the editors ask us to do. I mean, in my case, I try and do broad-scale analysis. I try to do with the X's and O's. Um, I kind of went back a little bit on uh, on player features this year. I've been using player features more so for my podcast than, rather than writing them up. And just, you know, that has helped me to work a little bit smarter this year.
0: Interesting. Um, I guess my question I guess you answered my question there. So before I get into the questions from the Big Blue Huddle members, um, I'd like to have you evaluate the depth at each position. And, and I, I don't mean each player, but maybe look at a position, and is it deep, is it adequate, or is it shallow, in your opinion? So you could start with offense if you want. You can start with the quarterbacks.
1: Okay, yeah. Quarterback, I think they're fine. Um, I have no you know qualms about that. Running back, I think they're fine. Um, actually, let me just tell you where I, where I don't think they're okay. Offensive line still worries me, specifically offensive tackle. Even before the injuries started, you know, eating into the into the depth, um, I did not like what I was seeing from the backup offensive tackles. I thought some of them might have regressed a little bit. And, I, I you know, going back to your other question about, you know, do you keep stuff too close to the vest or share observations I was sharing an observation with with a colleague, and we we both agreed that, you know, the the Giants better have a plan to make sure that, you know, when Daniel Jones goes out there to play, if he's playing behind, you know, these backup offensive tackles, that they protect this kid. Otherwise, he's going to get his head, you know, bashed in. So that would be a concern for me. Um, Defensive line?
0: There's injuries also on that offensive tackle position, right?
1: Yeah, so there's she- also injuries, but but even before the injuries, I I am not going to sit here and say I was jumping up and down and saying, okay, I feel good about you know the depth that they have here. Um, defensive line, I think they're okay. Uh, off ball linebackers, I separate edge and off ball. Uh-huh. Uh, I think. They're going to be okay there. I, I had some questions coming in about, you know, Ty Davis and Ryan Connolly, and those questions have kind of been answered a little bit. I think B.J. Goodson might be on the bubble. I would not be surprised if he doesn't mm-hmm. make the band roster. I think we're fine at, at uh, the edge. Um, at safety, um the fact that that you know Corey Valentine and Julian Love had, had well Julian Love more so um, has really helped solidify that group. So I'm okay with that group, um, and I'm okay with the cornerbacks. I think the cornerbacks have some really good young depth. What I'm a little queasy about is the fact that Jabril Peppers and Golden Tate are listed as the the punt returners. I would rather they not be the primary punt returners. I would mm-hmm. rather see you know somebody a little lower down on the depth chart at receiver or quarterback think on that role, but um that's where we kind of stand right now. I think that injury to Corey Coleman really kind of threw a monkey wrench in that position.
0: Well who would be the other returner if now Golden Tate's going to be out for four games? And did you hear anything?
1: It, 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 it just peppers and
0: what if he can't go? Uh, you know, like who's the next person? Uh,
1: Sterling, I think Sterling Shepherd is also listed as, as as a punt returner. And you know, the bottom line is, I don't want to see any guy who's going to have a big role in offensive defense returning punts. I, I'm sorry, I, I'm still you know shell shocked from the Jason Seahorn incident a few years ago. I know that you know, look, well, you, you got to move on, and that was just you know an unfortunate event that happened. But I would rather. You know, especially if the Giants end up having to punt a lot of times, you know, or, or return a lot of punts per game. I would rather not have to see, you know, Jabril Peppers, after running around and taking 100% of the snaps on defense, have to go out and do more work like that.
0: Well, would you like to see, you want to see somebody with sure hands, that's number one. And what about a Wayne Gallman or... Um...
1: I don't think he's ever done punt return. He's done kickoff return. Um T.J. Jones, Britton Golden, and Darius Slayton are, are the other guys listed at punt returner on the depth chart. Um, but well, but you those know, guys, two of those
0: guys aren't going to make the team probably, right?
1: Right, exactly. So I just wonder if maybe the Giants are going to pick somebody up off waivers once the final cut they're made and, and to do that. Because, you know, again, I, I can see going to, you know, like a Jabril Peppers or, or a Golden Tate if you need a spark, but I don't. Me, personally, I do not want to see them doing it as a full-time gig.
0: I think a lot, of, a lot of fans agree with you on that. I think there's a lot of fans that are on, you know, thinking from that perspective. We all remember the Seahorn incident, and we'd hate to lose somebody like a Golden Tate, which we're going to lose for four games anyway. So what happens if somebody goes down? Yeah, I don't know who that person would be. Maybe they're on the team. Um, maybe it's a backup Running back, or could, you know, I don't know what else. You, would have to be maybe a backup cornerback, um, maybe somebody that has some speed and good hands. I don't know. Usually those defensive guys aren't those type of players, right? They're, they usually don't have good hands.
1: Yeah, usually you would want a receiver, or, you know, to do that. But yeah. you know, or, or at least a guy who who you know can make interceptions on a regular basis. So I just think that that's one of you know, it, my two biggest concerns on this roster are punt returner and backup offensive tackle.
0: I completely agree. And so does Rich, because we're sitting there at camp and we're having the same discussion back and forth, and um, especially with Golden Tate, because we know he's going to be out for four games. So whatever happens, something happens to Peppers. Then you got somebody who didn't have as much experience in fielding those punts. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, now I'd just like to go into some of the questions from some of the folks at the, at the Big Blue Huddle, and this is from Baby Wells, Chris. Um, he's asking, regarding the academic side of the game, what are Pat Shermer's greatest strengths when game planning and what do you feel are his greatest weaknesses? And I'm going to just add another little question in there. Do you like the fact that he's calling the plays? Um,
1: I'll answer that question first. I am not a fan of him calling the plays. I understand why he's doing it. I understand the benefit he hopes to get from it, but I am not a fan of the head coach being the play caller. I think that should be designated, and you know, the head coach should manage the entire sideline and not necessarily worry about you know one side of the ball. Okay. Regarding the strengths, I think Pat Shermer does a really good job of tailoring the offense to the strength of his players and putting them in the best possible position to make plays his weaknesses. And this kind of ties into the question about, you know, whether or not I like him calling plays. I don't think he's the world's best game clock manager. Uh, I had some issues or or, or some questions about that uh, in the past. And, that's why I would prefer he not do it. But you know, with some guys, they just can't let go. You know, it's, it, it could be an ego thing or it could be, you know, look, I know what I want to do and I can, I can make the adjustments in game as necessary.
0: Do you, do you have confidence in Shula to do that job?
1: Uh, he did it in Carolina, didn't he? I yeah, think He did he, it in he, Carolina. Didn't they go to the Super Bowl with him? So.
0: okay, All right. Um, so if, it's, if, if, he, if he's calling the plays, that means he's actually putting this game plan together and he's doing a lot of this during the week when he's preparing the team. Is there a possibility that he may not get a full grasp of what's going on on the, the, the defensive side of the ball where he could be walking into some of those meetings and, and, and watching things where he's basically focusing on the offense?
1: No, I don't think that's the case. I think pretty much he lets James Betcher run that defense. Now, you know, I'm not saying that James Betcher shows up to work on Sunday and says, "Okay, coach, here's what I'm going to do." I think there's communication throughout the week, but for the most part, I think you know Shermer lets Betcher and and Boettcher, you know, the defensive assistants worry about that side of the ball while Shermer kind of oversees, you know, he and Shula oversee the um, the offensive side of the ball. I, th- I think the way. The best way to describe it is Shula actually does the groundwork. He actually presents like an overall concept. And it's up to, Sh- to Shermer to pick out what plays are going to support that concept. So it's a, it's a joint effort. Um, you know, it's not necessarily all Shermer or all Shula. It's a joint effort. And, uh, you know, th- th- that's why you always see the two of them really attached at the hip. When you you know, when the, the, it pans into the sideline.
0: And as you talk and you're just a wealth of knowledge, um, something came to mind is every time they're, they're preparing for a team, they're preparing against that team. So what they want to do offensively, want to do defensively is based on the tendencies of that team and how they've executed, correct?
1: Yes. And that's how you want it to be. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. there, there are some coaches that say, OK, this is what we do well. So figure out a way to stop us because we're going to keep doing it until, until you figure out a way to stop it. And then you have team, uh, coaching staffs that, that adapt to, you know, who they're facing, what the scenario is, um, and, and, and the other elements that are necessarily involved. And, and, you know, those are the guys who are creative, and those are the guys who generally, as a rule, last longer in the league.
0: And would that be a Shermer?
1: Uh, Shermer, I think, is a, is a mix. Right where, right now, he's, he's kind of, you know, a cross, I think, between doing what they do well and, and, and mixing it up. But I, I'll say this about him last year. I don't know that he was able to do everything he wanted to do last year because of the offensive line being so shaky in the first half of the year. So I would say probably the, the jury's out about whether or not Shermer has, you know, staying power as a head coach. Um, you know, he did really well a couple of years ago when he was the offensive coordinator of the Vikings. So, you know, that that's got to count for something. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, there, there are so you know, he, look, he's got ways he can improve, too. And he'll probably be the first one to tell you that. But um, but, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, hopefully now he's got everything he needs. That offensive line has been upgraded and hopefully we'll get to see some of the stuff that we saw as early as last year. But, you know, it never made it into the to the game plan because they didn't have the personnel to do it.
0: When I think of him, I'm thinking grounded. This seems like a man who, you know, the highs and the lows, he doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. He, he's kind of like this even keel on, on how he's approaching everything. That's my, you know, from a from a distance. That's how I'm perceiving him is, is that kind of a uh, coach.
1: Well, that's, that's the public persona he wants to play. Right. You we'll know, never see him get upset or, or, or angry. But behind the scenes, I've had people tell me that he can be quite a little spitfire behind the scenes.
0: Wow, really?
1: Yeah, play, former players, uh, current players... You know, because I, I said, look, you know, coach always seems like he, nothing bothers him. And they said, oh, you haven't seen this guy behind the scenes. <laughs> he can really be, you know, like a little volcano. So, uh, so yeah, he, he, look, I think with, with Shermer, you know, he, if, if he has his druthers, he probably would rather just go in. You know, teach, you know, speak in a calm tone, not get carried, you know, get carry on or anything like that. But there are going to be times when you're going to have to, you know, blast your subordinates. And and I think, you know, uh, based on what I've been told by, like I said, current players and former players, there, there were times when that had to happen.
0: That's pretty smart, though, when you think about it, especially in this market where people will feed off of every little. And that's one of the things like when you were talking about your job, your profession, you know, you're, you're going after a certain market. And those guys that go after the fluff and all that other stuff, they're actually going after another market. And people want there are some people that love that stuff, you know, and they want to hear that kind of stuff. So he's he's able to avoid all of that. Like with his public persona, as you just described. So, Chris also asks, "Who's proving themselves to you, in your perspective, as the most impressive assistant coach on the staff?"
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, hmm. Wow.
0: You see these I guys didn't... working with the different units, and you know sometimes you get you a know, glimpse of that. You know
1: what? I, I mean, I know James Betcher had aspirations to be a, a head coach. So I don't know if you want to count him. I, you know, he is technically an assistant coach. Uh-huh. Um, so I think he's a, he, he he could potentially be a head coach in the making. Um, from the position coaches, I'm just trying to think here. Hal Hunter? No. Ty Tolbert, Ty Tolbert maybe. Uh, Ty Tolbert seems to be a, a, a go getter, a guy who's very active. Um, you know, and, and what's who, his position? Receivers. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Um,
0: He's going to be very important with all those injuries.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, that that's a tough one because they have a lot of you know guys who who are you know they're veteran coaches. That's this is all they've done. So you know they, they obviously have done something to 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 hang around. But you know, if you're talking about like a, a future head coaching candidate or a future coordinator candidate, I would say you know again, I would say Betcher for sure because Betcher's young and he's got you know the energy and he's a, he's kind of a go-getter.
0: I guess his question might be maybe like the cornerback or the or the uh, secondary coach, where he's got a lot of young players and he's got a couple of veterans there too to help him along. But you know, how is that guy coaching? Those young players, that kind of thing, and you know what? Maybe it's a little early to ask that question.
1: Yeah, I, I think it is. Let's. I mean, look, it, we, we've seen the young cornerbacks really, you know, develop and and do some nice things in this camp. But you know, this is against their teammates. This is against you know the, they're seeing the you know the same looks pretty much at every the day or so forth. So let let's revisit that question another time because you know once we see them against other units and, and my measuring stick just so you know is i know what units last year lacked um so i want to see if there's improvement from year one to year two mm-hmm. um from that group
0: okay all right so that those questions were from baby whales his name is chris good friend of mine um <laughs> the next question is from larry his his handle is painter larry's been around you know almost 20 years on these on these sites um he He's asking, he said he's really interested in how much work Daniel Jones is getting under center and whether they seem satisfied with his performance to date. In watching Maduke, he seemed to do most of his work from the shotgun. There were also times when he looked like a very skilled ball handler who would excel in play action and RPOs, run pass option, and screen passes with his agility and his running ability alone. Um, could very well compensate for whatever rookie shortcomings he may have. Um, So he says, although references are regularly made about his similarities to Eli, he sees a player with some very different skill sets. Are there any notable differences in how he's being worked compared to Eli?
1: Not not really. I mean, he's been under center. He's also worked from the shotgun. I, I, I mean, I can't see anything per se that that really jumps out at me. I mean, I think maybe the only difference would be there might be some design running plays with him, you know, bootlegs and stuff like that. But Eli has done that as well. So I I would say, you know, look, ultimately, you know, the coaches always say next man up. And I always kind of say, well, you know, it's not really next man up because these aren't robots. Every player is different. But ultimately, they want these guys to be able to do you know what they call you know how to execute the offense or the defense on um, how it's, as as it's drip, uh, drawn up. So I guess that's what you know. I guess that's what they're talking about.
0: So if Daniel Jones came in in the middle of the season, they wouldn't change this offense at all for Daniel Jones. They would have the same offense that that they would have well, ran for the first six games or whatever that Eli played. Not that I'm saying they're going to pull Eli, but in that case, it's the same offense.
1: No, uh, not really. They might add some things, you know, like I said, Daniel Jones has better mobility than Eli Manning. He's not afraid to rush. So I think they might, you know, tweak it like that.
0: Roll out more, uh, more, know. more RPOs, maybe
1: yeah. do that yeah, from under
0: center. To, um, the, uh-huh. How long do you think before he's fully competent and confident under center? Um, You think it would take, you think he's got it now, or do you think this is something that he just needs to work on a little bit more? I
1: think he needs to work on it. You know, again, my biggest thing with Daniel Jones is he hasn't quite learned how to handle pressure as well as maybe you'd like him to. He tends to rush passes, Um, he doesn't, you know, put the ball where it needs to be. He had a few passes batted down. I think for, for a stretch of three or four days in a row, he had pass batted down. So all that's going to come as he gets live reps. So the more reps he gets, the better.
0: Okay. All right. Um, This is from G Man 329 Mighty Giants, Rich, said that he mentioned that Coughlin ran more of an efficient camp than Shermer, and he'd like to hear your thoughts on that.
1: I disagree. I think it's about the same, to be honest with you. I will say that, you know, if we compare it to Ben McAdoo, it's a much different camp, and here's why I disagree. Shermer has had these players practicing in the hottest part of the day, in case anybody right, has to. Right. This.
0: Yeah, we know because we sat in on that hot sun waiting to the end. Okay, get yeah. so
1: think back to you know years past, and how many times you know did the offense or the de- or the defense more so look look um, <clears throat> excuse me, gassed at the you know going into the fourth quarter. That wasn't necessarily because they were playing a lot. That was part of it. But, you know, they were gassed because, you know, they they, they practiced during the cooler parts of the day. So there's a method ah, to that madness. Okay. And, 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 and the other thing that, that Shermer does, that Coughlin did, is they don't waste practice time. Like, for example, if you go back to the McAdoo era... He would gradually build them up. So I can remember like the first few training camp practices literally being walkthroughs. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, dude, you only have X number of practices. Why are you wasting them? These guys are supposedly in shape. They passed the conditioning drill. Why are you wasting these practices? Shermer didn't do that. You know, he had the two you know, he had the matted pads for the two days that you know are required by the CBA, the acclimation period. But if I remember correctly, they've been in pads every day since. Now, they're not necessarily going full blast every day since. You know, he'll back them off a little bit. But Shermer is, 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 you know, he's trying to, you know, create the game-like conditions as best as he can in the most challenging conditions, that being the hottest part of the day.
0: That's really interesting. It's a great point. (laughs) Um, I think maybe Rich was alluding to when Coughlin ran – Quarterback drills, he had every quarterback, I think, engaged with 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 some kind of offense where they were throwing the ball or they were doing something. And maybe that's the perception um, that he was looking at. And I think that's, that was my thought when, when I read that and when I was talking to him about it. Jolly Blue Giant had asked that he hasn't heard a peep or read even a smidge of information on how Paul Adams is doing so far. What's your opinion on him and how's he looking in camp? Rick is his name.
1: I, I mean, if I'm being honest with you, he hasn't jumped out at me. I, I, I can't give you an assessment because I, you know, when I, just so you know, when I do my camp reports and stuff, mm-hmm. I don't write down player names. I just write down numbers, you know, because there's 90 numbers and I don't necessarily know all the numbers of the players. Like I, I would during the 53-man roster. And the reason why I do that. Is because I don't want to go in with a predetermined, okay, I'm going to watch, you know, Evan Ingram, for example. So I I write down numbers, and then I go back, and I pull out my roster, and then I say, okay, whose number did I write down a lot, and whose number didn't I write down? And I can honestly say I didn't, you know, I think I wrote down Paul Adams' number once, and it was a negative note that I took.
0: Okay, okay. But that's a good way of going about it, so you're not, you're not biased as to when you're looking right. at a player. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. L- Little Giant says uh, he would like to know how the backup defensive line is doing, and are they all new from last year?
1: The, I'm sorry, the backup offensive
0: line? De- no, defensive line.
1: The, um, the back, you know what? I like I the depth they have at that unit. Uh, the projected starters are D.J. Hill, um, Dalvin Thompson and Dexter Lawrence and behind them R.J. McIntosh has, has really looked good I mean I've been, I've been really impressed by how quickly he's come, come back on um, you know Chris Slayton has flashed on occasion haven't seen too much from Jenkins and, and, and Freedom I'm not going attempt to say the last yeah, name but
0: I, I wouldn't <laughs> um,
1: and then Olsen Pierre has flashed I've seen uh, Jake Sorenza flash a little bit so I just think that you know the versatility that these that this group has, and, and this is so important because I think it was Dave Gentleman who made this point, and I thought it was a really good point. The reason why they want these guys to be as versatile as possible is because when they initially line up, sometimes there shifts in the offense to where now suddenly. You know, a guy who was initially lined up as the nose tackle is now a one or a shade or something like that. So I, I just like what they're doing with this group, and I like the depth that they had. I, I, and i got to admit, it was a question mark for me in the spring, but they have really, really come on.
0: When B.J. Hill was out that one day for the birth of his child, congratulations, I saw Olson Pierre in there taking a lot of snaps, I believe, right, that day? Yep. Okay. Um, So that was a good question. And that's a good answer. And I'm sure he's really happy with that answer to hear that. So my friend Frank down in in Delaware, Shoeless Joe, um, he would like to know your thoughts on Corey Ballantyne, the X-Man and Dexter Lawrence. How much do you think they will contribute to the defense? At what point will they contribute? And how much will they contribute on special teams play?
1: Okay, um, my thoughts on those three, love Dexter Lawrence. I mean, I, I'm just amazed at how well he moves. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we we think of the old dancing elephant analogy that George Young used to talk about for offensive linemen, you know, the, the dance of the elephants, and, you know, I, I hate to use this comparison on anybody, you know, because of their size, but that's kind of what it reminds me of. Lawrence is so athletic, so mobile, And, you know, considering his size, I think any questions people had about him being a three-down player have been resolved. Um, Corey Valentine, you know, initially I thought maybe he might sneak through to the practice squad. But, you know what, kudos to this young man. He has really, really bounced back from the unfortunate tragedy that that he went through after he was drafted. Mm -hmm. And he's just got both feet on the ground and and doing a really good job. And I, I see him now. You know, being a part of this defense in some capacity, Julian Love, I've always liked. I mean, he's an intelligent young man, very well spoken. He has a deep appreciation for historic football programs. I did an article for him on him rather on, on Forbes about that, and just you know, very active. And the mere fact that he's able to to learn two positions. Uh, and and perform them as well that he has really speaks to the work that he has put in, uh, you know, to to get himself up to speed.
0: Um, he also asked about the X Men.
1: Oh, the X Men! Oh, yeah. um, love them. X Men reminds me a little bit of OCU Manura, you know, and and you know, I know Giant Dan will probably remember O.C. as being primarily. You know, good against pass, good at good as a pass rusher, but you know, shaky against run. X man, considering he came from a, a small program, he has a tremendous uh, toolbox with which to work. To where, okay, I think he's going to be a situational pass rusher in the beginning. Uh-huh. You know, only because you know. These guys got to develop against the run. That's Very rarely do you find a guy who comes into the NFL and he's a great run stopper and a so-so pass rusher. It just doesn't happen a whole lot. Kerry Wynn would have been the last t- example I could think of. X-Man is, is a smart player. You know, he's got that quick first step, that quick burst. He's learning the run. Um, I'd like to see him, you know, shed tackles a little bit better when he gets caught up in the wash, but... I'm very, very encouraged by what I've seen from him, and I think he's going to be a tremendous player.
0: That's great to hear. Now, that's actually a five-man front because it's in in this 3-4 defense. Those two edge rushers are actually the other two men that are on the line. Their hand may not be down, but that also helps against containing uh, outside runs too, so that should help him. Um, What about Sam Beal? Now, he, he's missed, again, a lot of camp. And what about Darius Slayton? That's my question. It just came into my head. Those two players really needed a lot of work this camp. And how, do you think that's going to set them back when, they, when they're able to, to come back?
1: Yeah, I think it is. I mean, you know, look, they talk about mental reps, which I always think is, is quite honestly, I, I, I think it's just, you know, because it sounds so good. It's like, oh, I'm getting mental reps. Well, I can get mental reps. I can envision an article you know how an article is going to look, but unless I actually put my fingers on the keyboard and mm-hmm. take action and write it, it's not going to come out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. so it's kind of the same thing with a, kind of the same thing with, a, with with football you know you can you can know what to do and how you're going to do it and all that other good stuff. but um you know if you're not doing it, 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 it that's the other part of the equation, and I think the more you miss because of injury that the worse it's going to be, you know, the more you're going to have to catch up on.
0: And that's not, that's not good because we, they were counting on those two players, especially that deep threat in Darius Slayton. Um, yeah, yeah. So the next question is by Greg. Greg's uh, a moderator on the Big Blue Huddle, and he's asking about the pass coverage with the linebackers, and will opposing tight ends and running backs feast again, or are we improving there? So I guess he's talking about those inside linebackers that will be the guys that will be in coverage on that. Um, what What are your thoughts on that, Pat?
1: I think from what I've seen, they're going to be a little bit better at that. I think one of the problems was, you know. B.J. Goodson, he's a a hard-playing young man, but he's not very, you know, uh, ideal in coverage. So they've kind of worked in Ty Davis, who's a converted safety in that role. They have also brought in, um, uh, they brought, you know, Jabril Peppers down in the box. They have been bringing... Uh, Antoine Bethea a little closer to the to the to the uh, line, and then having Julian Love play that deep you know that deep safety package. So uh, you know, the, I guess you'd call it the big nickel. And if I remember correctly, when the Giants had that big nickel package in 2011, I don't think they got burnt very often over the middle because of, because of that uh-huh. personnel alignment. So that's what I think they're trying to do again this year because you know you're right you know, plays over the middle. I mean, people feasted on them over the
0: middle. Right, right, right. And you just you just hit on something with, with Peppers. They've been moving him all around. He's been in blitz packages. He's covering the running backs that are coming out in, in, the, um, in the flat um, or, or even, you know, for those those dump downs, those check downs. They got him, in, and Dexter Lawrence has been playing all over. The, I mean, he's been on the field a lot when, I, when I've been to camp and been watching him. So those guys are getting a lot, a lot of work. And doing different things,
1: yeah, yeah. Hey, listen, the more you can do, the better.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this is from my friend Steve Retro Giant, Retro Gent, um, and it's it's. The big question, just getting – he wants your impression about the wide receivers. How bad are they, if anything? Um, and what's being said about Tate's chances to get a suspension reversed? I guess because of the fact that there's been a lot of injury. Tate you know, is probably going to be out for four games. How are these other players that are on uh, the receiving squad, do you think that, that they're going to be okay? You know, Starting with um, uh, number 12, uh, Corey Latimer and and slayton and um you know some of those players
1: okay um let me think for a second here because that was a mouthful i i, I got to get these questions in smaller doses here
0: okay it's the last arena. one i promise um, <laughs> yeah
1: uh so the, the question about how all right so the first question is how are the receivers
0: yeah what's so, your impression what's the of the wide question? receivers you know uh, um
1: you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm panicking. I've seen some good things um, from the receivers. But, you know, I, I think what they're going to miss, especially if Tate's suspension is upheld, and we should know by Friday for sure where the, where he stands with that, is I don't know that they're going to have somebody necessarily to do some of those bubble screens that they've been doing, mm-hmm. um, which is going to be a part of that offense. Um, you know, the... In terms of Tate and Shepard, they've been moving them all over the place. They've even they've even moved you know Evan Ingram out and Saquon Barkley and have them run receiver routes. So I think they're trying to really you know uh, open up the playbook a little bit more. The back end of the receivers, I can't say anybody's really jumped out at me. You know, I guess you could say Alonzo Russell. He's had a a pretty good camp, but other than that. You know, Benny Fowler has been, to my mind, a little inconsistent. Mm -hmm. Uh, Who else is there? Um, Slayton we haven't seen, obviously. Uh, Russell Shepard is a special teamer. Reggie White Jr. has, you know, he's flashed here and there, but not consistently. Um, Let me see, I'm just looking. Cody Latimer is is another guy. I think, you know, he's, you know, for lack of a better term, just another guy. Uh, t- and then T.J. Jones might might be able to hang around base if he could do you know um, punt returns, which he is listed as the third guy. So, yeah, I think the jury's still out on the receivers. To be honest with you.
0: Okay, all right. Um, question about the running backs: competition between Gallman and Perkins seems to be a competition. I don't know if it's a competition, but they're both getting seems like the equal amount of reps and. Which one do you see as is, is being the number two back, Gallman or Perkins?
1: Well, right now I think Gallman is holding on to that job. Um, the thing with Gallman, and, and, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, you've seen me say how much I love how Gallman runs. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I have not changed my mind about that. What I don't like about Gallman's game is the ball security. And if he doesn't hang on to that ball, guess what? He's he's not going to get touches, and we saw that. So I think right now that competition is probably even. Steven, if you had to pick one, I would say Gallman probably has a slight lead in that competition, but this is going to be a, you know, we're going to need to see this play out over several games, and I don't really expect to see Saquon Barkley play much this summer, if at all. I, there's no need to, to put him out there and risk You know, God forbid something happening. So I think you're going to see a lot of that backup running back competition unfold.
0: He's been on a pitch count, and so has um, Solder. And also Ingram seems to be, they've been holding back on him a little bit too. Anybody else you see that they're holding back on a little bit?
1: Marcus Golden would be another one.
0: Okay, okay.
1: Um, I'm trying to think who else. I think that's pretty much it off the top of my head.
0: So what other competitions do you see in, in, a, in a, at a position that have piqued your interest?
1: Uh, let me see. Competition. I guess the off-ball linebackers, you know, just seeing that, how that's playing out. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to see who's going to be the fourth edge rusher. You know, that right now they have Kareem Martin, Marcus Golden, uh, t- uh Carter and X-Man, I want to see if Avery Moss fits into that picture at all. Okay. Um obviously the offensive tackle situation is 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 a great concern to me. Me too. Uh center you know center I I think they're going to go with John Jalapio. I, I just I just get that feeling that he's going to be the guy they just like him better uh for that role.
0: And and, and uh, he's he's competing with with Spencer Pulley.
1: Right, right. He's competing with Spencer Pulley. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, otherwise the other positions are kind of falling into place. No, no, no major surprises, I think.
0: So maybe there's some competition for the backup and maybe there'll be somebody that might make the team on special teams. Right. Okay. Um, final thoughts, anything you want to talk about or, or bring up?
1: Nope. Just that I'm, I'm glad that we're finally getting into the games. There's going to be so much more to talk about some new material to write, new analysis. And I'm looking forward to putting some of my knowledge that I learned when I attended the Scouting Academy this past fall, or this past spring, I should say, uh, into my film study.
0: How interesting was that for you?
1: Oh, I loved it. I'm going back for a second semester next uh, next off-season. It, it, it was tremendous. I mean, I always watched film, obviously, but... You know, the thing with people who say they watch film is, is, they you know, you can put your eyes on it, but you don't necessarily know what to watch for or what you're looking at. And I'm not saying that I didn't know what to look for. I, I had an, an inkling, but I have such a, a greater understanding. I, I did mostly the offense um, in my first semester. So next semester, I want to do the defense and really, you know, hone in on that. And I would have done it this summer, too, but, you know, between – you know training camp and i'm also trying to finish up a book that i'm working on um just wasn't enough hours in the day for everything
0: where are you attending this scouting camp
1: you do it online you go oh it's the, an the online course academy. okay yeah you go you go scouting academy i think it's scoutingacademy.com is done online they show you how to basically scout like 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 a, a pro scout would you fill you you create reports um you watch film you, you watch uh, instructional videos from, from you know position coaches, like, for example, Howard Mudd was the positional coach for the uh, offensive line, you know, fit the thing, you know, Howard Mudd who's like top of the line, uh, Mike Sullivan was the, was the the instructor for um, the receivers, you know, so I, I just find, found it to be very, very interesting and well worth the investment, and I'm Really looking forward to going back and, and doing, you know, the second half. You do about four modules um, on average. So I did. I think I did. Um, I almost finished the fourth one, but I'm definitely going to go back now that I have a better idea how to watch film. Uh, I'm going to go back and I'm going to finish it up next off season.
0: You know, Rich, Mighty Giants. Rich was. also He attended one of those camps. He did an online um, camp for that too, uh, for scouting. So he he loved it. Also, I don't know if it's the same. Yours is probably a little bit different. I don't know. So anyway, yeah,
1: I, don't, I, I don't know what he did, so I, I can't comment on. That. I can, but uh, yeah, Dan Hatman runs it. Dan Hatman used to be a scout with the Giants and I think the Eagles and a couple of other teams, and he does a really good job. And you know, he by the way, he's not paying me to say this. I, I, I'm speaking <laughs> from the heart here, but uh, I, I thought it was a really good program, and, and and it's open to anybody you know who wants to take it. It's not just you know for media or for you know football, you know, junior scouts or anything like that. Anybody who wants to take it and really develop an appreciation and an understanding of how to watch film. I mean, I'm talking the intricacies. Um, It's well worth it.
0: Well, I'll tell you, you have been a wealth of knowledge as always. You, you hinted that you're writing a book. Um, that's going to be very interesting. Yeah. So, good luck with that. You know, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to be here tonight. You know, it's 9 o'clock at night, and, and we're talking football. And I really appreciate that. I'm sure the members of the Big Blue Huddle will, and everybody that's going to listen to this podcast on SoundCloud and also when I put it on YouTube. Would you just tell the audience again where they can find you? And-
1: sure, absolutely. You can find my podcast, the Locked on Giants podcast, at lockdowngiants.com. All the episodes are there. The newest ones are usually up top. We have a Twitter mailbag every week. So if you didn't get your question answered or you want to participate, um, usually we do it via Twitter. Uh, I tell people tag me, ask P Trade, or you can email them to LockedOnGiantsPodcast at gmail.com. My writing has been, uh, most of my writing has been on the Football Maven site. It's it's actually a cross between the Maven, Sports Exchange, and Inside Football. So you can find that at footballmaven.io slash NY Giants. And I have video, I have analysis, I have audio. I'm putting new content up every single day. So a lot of cool things there. Inside Football is my base publication. That's a subscription product. And we actually break down the players, you know, um, by each mm-hmm. player who takes part on uh, uh, in the game. So if you want to. Yet get some of these questions answered that I wasn't able to answer about how this guy's looking or how that guy's looking, that's what you want to pursue. And you can find the information on that at insightfootball.com. And then I have my writing over at Forbes. I'm a, I just got promoted, actually, on Forbes to a senior contributor wow, status. Wow,
0: congratulations.
1: Thank you, thank you. So um, my site at Forbes is, um, I think it's for uh, actually, let me look it up real quick. Um, I don't want to give you guys the wrong URL, but um, I always tell people if you google my name at forbes it'll come up it's Forbes.com dot com slash sites slash patricia trainer all one word so um, if you want to check that out that that's more of an analytical type uh thing where where I'm doing mostly salary cap stuff so if that's your bag um, that's where I'm putting a lot of that stuff
0: are you still doing the athletic
1: no no i did i the athletic uh you know i i expanded elsewhere like i said i've got the maven now i've got inside football i've got Forbes, so all that kind of keeps me you know
0: yeah that's enough
1: (laughs) yeah and i also contribute to big blue view uh, you know on occasion as well so
0: are you still doing podcasts with ed
1: no no unfortunately ed and i had to split up it's it's a shame too because uh you know ed's company um sb nation they wanted to do uh They wanted to to start their own podcast network, so he left, and I still have him on as a guest every once in a while, but I've been basically flying solo, and what I try and do is I try and get different guests to come on with me because I'm sure people don't want to hear me yammering all the time every day. Um, so, uh, and, and that's doing really well. The podcast has, you know, grown and I thank everybody who, who has made that possible. And I thank everybody who reads me because, you know, the, the editors, the bosses do notice those page views and everything. And, you know, I, I'm not about clickbait. My, my goal is to give you something worth reading. And, uh, hopefully those of you who have read me think that I have done a good job with that. And, those of you who haven't read me yet, I hope you will check out the various sites I do and interact with me, you know, especially over on, on the Maven. Um, you can sign up for a free account and you can post comments, like posts, you know, kind of like you do on Facebook. So always welcome to, to you know, I always enjoy hearing from, from Giant fans and readers and hope some of your the uh, big blue huddle folks will, you know, consider signing up.
0: Well you know what we all have a lot of respect for what you do, and we think that you 're absolutely fabulous. You do an excellent job with what you do um, there 's nobody that 's more respected on the big blue huddle site than patricia trainer and i and I absolutely mean that it 's and, and i don 't know if you go on there from time to time and you can see it yourself, but they you know a few few of those guys gush over you uh,
1: Well, so- <laughs> that 's not very nice i i, I 'm very I'm humbled by that because, look, this is a big market. There are a lot of people covering this team, and I'm just one of, you know, several dozen. And, you know, I appreciate that. And, and, you know, I do wish I could kind of, you know, get over to the site a little bit more. But once we get into the coverage, it's just I barely have time to eat.
0: (laughs) I know. But you know (laughs) what? Every time you write something and other people are writing their take and whether it's a game review or whatever, Rich is always – Putting you on as the premier is first, oh, okay? Well, and I appreciate and he, that. Yeah, he's always, you know, and he listens to your podcast and everything. Like, he's a big fan. I
1: appreciate that. And, and uh, listen, I know people have asked about the sound quality of the podcast. Please, I am working on that. Understand one thing, though I have been a writer. For- for the better part of 22 years, podcasting is still kind of new to me. So I am trying to learn how to edit stuff. I'm learning about microphones and equipment and all this fancy stuff. So I do apologize if the quality is the sound quality isn't the greatest all the time, but. I am trying to work on that and try to make it as good as possible.
0: You know, Brian, the big hitter, uh, one of our admins, and you've been on podcasts with him, he actually went to school for that. So if you have oh, yeah. any questions, give a shout-out to Brian. Maybe he can give oh. us you some, some, you know, some suggestions. So thanks again. And, uh, folks, you can, you can find the Big Blue Huddle at GiantsFans.net, on Facebook and on Twitter. So on behalf of Patricia Trainer and myself, we thank you for listening into our podcast. Go Giants!